It's time for the show that brings the magic right to your speakers. Ears up! That's right, everybody. Ears up podcast. We are back. George Costanza voice. We're back, baby. <laughs> Serenity now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we've never really left. I mean, every two weeks you do this, but uh, this is my favorite part of the of the month is when we get to do these shows, and uh, I I really look forward to it because I have a lot of fun on these shows. I really do. I really enjoy my time here, and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. I never left. I've just been sitting here on this Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I I forgot weeks. to tell you, <laughs> I was going to give you another link, so uh, you actually have to leave when you're done. Okay. Yeah, because okay. we we've seen some things. Uh, I don't know, man. You know what I mean, sorry. Yeah, I mean, right. I, it, it's it's only one chair. I mean, <laughs> for me, that's all you got to do. Yeah, you know, <laughs> what, are, what are you going to do? Uh, we are the boys today. It's a boys only show. So this, this one goes out to all my fellas. Uh, Bev is uh, out sick. She's not sick, but someone in her family's sick, so she's taking care of them. Taryn is out sick, so it is just myself, Eric, and Jeremy, and uh, I'm you know. I'm excited about that. I like having just the boy. I like changing up a little bit. You know yeah. what I mean? As we said before the show, it's in-depth plus me. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah, we're Why just going to do news. Jeremy, do you have a <laughs> rhyme to give us? Like you do on in-depth so, so often? So lovingly crafted? Well, I'm talking about Spaceship Earth tonight. Okay. The music of Spaceship Earth. So, you know, Spaceship Earth is a really big... is a. <laughs> oh, no. He lost it. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's a great big ball at the front of the park, and you ride around on it in the dark. <laughs> He's back. There we go. We got him booted up again. Sorry, we just had to blow on the connector a little bit. There is a news story. I kind of like, I've been watching it this week, and I'm like, I wish it was an in-depth this week, because I want to talk about this. Have you heard about this new trip? Yes, oh. I have it in news for Secret Show. Oh, thank God. Uh, yeah, it's a big, I mean, we can mention it here briefly, but it's like, I mean, briefly, no one really cares. Yeah, it's like $100,000. They jet set everywhere. Yeah, oh. to see all six of their plastic castles. I'm good. <laughs> hey, the France one is like stones, right? Yeah, actually it is. And, and the roof is actual slate. See? Wow. That's that's 100,000. That's that's worth that's it right three there. Teslas. Yeah, it's not it's not made from computer models. <laughs> three Teslas. Plastic. That's one and a half now. <laughs> I don't know how much a Tesla is. We, oh, they just raised the price of measurement. Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. But uh the way that they jack the prices up, that unit of measurement just keeps moving and moving and moving. Uh we do have a good show for you guys today. Like Jeremy said, we are going to go through the music of Spaceship Earth over in Epcot, the big golf ball that's behind Jeremy. You know, you guys know the big golf ball that sits in front of Epcot. Uh, we're gonna, <laughs> Jeremy loves it when we talk about it like that. So we're going to do that. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. And then I have a segment. I'm really looking forward to this. We had to sort of scramble a little bit. And when Taryn was like, look, I'm not feeling good. I'm not going to be able to like do this show. I said, okay, I got you. So I had to go into the uh, Patreon-only archives that I have all my ideas in. And you know, we do a show on Patreon. I do a show called Pyramid the Eye the Ears, which is all about conspiracy theories and you know, just kind of fun stuff. The last show I did was a while ago, but it was like all the the theories of the cars universe. Like, what are the cars really? And how did they evolve and all that kind of stuff? And I, I had a good time doing it. It was pretty fun. But I had to take one of those stories. I'm a little bummed out, but I'm very excited to share it with everybody. This is a story about a conspiracy theory surrounding Walt Disney's true 
birthplace. True origin. Ooh. Yes. And it's pretty Marceline? good. Marceline? <laughs> yes. Um, he Chicago, fell from Illinois. that big oak tree. Uh, that's property. And he sprouted from the ground. <laughs> um, it's pretty wild, man. I, 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 I like it. <laughs> I think it's a good one. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's pretty good. But before we do all of that, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Concy ears, by the way, if you're going to the parks, if you're going to Disneyland, if you're going to Disney World, if you're going anywhere, really, check with Concy ears first, concierge.com. They can help you plan the perfect vacation to Disneyland or not. But, you know, they're really the Disneyland experts or the Disney World experts, the Disney Parks experts. So if you're still trying to figure out this Genie Plus thing, this lightning lane thing, when the best time to go is the reservation system you have to do for literally everything. You probably have to reserve a spot to go to the bathroom these days. The folks at Concierge are going to be able to help you out. And all of that stuff is free on top of the ticket price. Can I give a brief testimonial? Sure. Yes. Very, very brief. Eric. Yeah. Eric is not a paid. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good. Only if it <laughs> rhymes. <laughs> yeah, please do it in, uh, in rhyming. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> i mean fair i did say please it was a you know yeah go ahead there we go okay okay yeah i, I will reject that please and that request okay. uh, apologies there we go that rhymed there you go and we're supposed to be going on this trip tomorrow we're leaving tomorrow to head to walt disney world and brandy wasn't able to go until yesterday suddenly everything fell into place and brandy is uh, able to go two days before we depart for walt disney world wow i called <laughs> It called Jimmy. Yeah. My personal concierge. Oh. And uh, Jimmy got her tickets and park reservations in no time at all. Uh, park reservations and bathroom reservations. They're, they're also very coveted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we're, we're, we're still working. He's still monitoring. Just there are a couple of things where it didn't quite work out, but he's still looking and uh, just no time at all. Middle of the day. Fantastic work. Uh, That's great. And, you know, and the little things you can sort of work out, like you said, later on. But the, the most important part is you got flights, you got resis for the parks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we got the same flights. Like, crazy. That crazy. is kind of crazy, considering the, uh, from what I understand, the airline industry sort of in flux now. Like, a lot yeah. of flights are being canceled. They just kind of shrug and say, come on our plane. <laughs> yeah. But we don't know like why. Come on our plane. <laughs> Coming out of here. Well, that's great. Well, check it out. Concierge.com. They don't charge you anything above what the parks do. So it's all free. It's a free service. You know, you got to pay for the tickets, right? Yeah, you do have to pay for those. There you go. Uh, support the show. Go to Etsy. Actually, the whole entire network. Go to Etsy.com slash shop slash Coveers. Got a bunch of shirts in there. I converted a lot of stuff to uh, tank tops. The coveted, the classic weenie castle from the Supreme Resort. That is in a tank top, brand new tank top form. So if you want, uh, if you want your weenies out, you know what I mean, man. I'm too late. I'll have to get it shipped to the parks for me. You can absolutely. Right. How long are you gonna be there? Because it does. There's a turnaround, and eh, we'll figure I, it out later. Yeah, it's ten days. I we'll, oh. we'll figure it out. You'll yeah, you'll be fine. All right. Uh, Etsy.com/slash/shop/slash/coveers. Of course, you can become a Patreon supporter of the show. Help keep the lights on. A little as two bucks a month if you want. We it supports all of our shows. It's the best absolute best way to help us out at five dollars a month you get access to the secret show which we're going to be doing later on tonight got a bunch of cool news to go over got a drink to go over it'll be a good time so check it out and you get access to the back catalog too so if you're caught up with all of our all of, all of our weird programming and all of our shows and you want more content 
Sign up to go on Patreon. You can go through all the back catalog, get all of our past secret shows when we used to be fun and uh, and before we got older. You know, I was looking in the mirror the other day, actually today, and uh, trimming my beard, and I was like, there's a lot of... Do I have soap in my beard? No, it turns out it's just white. Hmm. <laughs> I just, I've aged. Huh. It's like wow. one of those times where you... I found some you, of that myself. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's those moments where you don't notice, and then suddenly you do a double take, like, whoa, I got old. Like, I got, I got, I physically have aged since the last time I noticed. It's weird. Would you consider going beardless? No. I mean, you know, I don't have any hair on my head, so I might as well have it on my face kind of a thing. I mean, I, I shave the beard every once in a while. You know what I mean? I get bored or, uh, you know, nihilistic. I don't know. <laughs> I shave it. Like, I want to destroy something beautiful. I shave You're looking at those clippers oh, and you're like, just... Go, go, do it, do your thing. Sometimes I do get antsy where it's like, you know, I just kind of feel like ah, you just, you, you, you know, take it off and then a week it's back. So who cares? I think it would drive me nuts to have hair on my face. I think you would look cool with a beard. I think you should try growing oh, a beard. Oh, well, that goes without saying, but I just don't think I would like <laughs> enjoy having it. Grow a beard for me, please. I actually, it's getting a little long tonight. Yeah. This really is the boy show. Yeah, we're talking, about, we're beards. talking about beards. Yeah, well, go go for a big go do do like a western for Halloween and just start growing your mustache now. Your big handlebar mustache. <laughs> Please do. That would be amazing. Our friends at the 21st Amendment Brewery welcome the warmer weather with the release of their brand new Hoppy Pilsner, Coaster Pills. With a label that depicts a magical portal into an amusement park of flavors, Coaster Pills has a good time around every turn. Coaster Pills is wonderfully clear and bright with a beautiful straw color and tight white bubbles. It has a snappy flavor with crisp lines and wonderful citrus tropical hoppy flavors and aromas. Plus, at 5.4% ABV, it'll help you coast right through your day like only the 21st Amendment can. Coaster Pills, as well as their summertime favorite Hell or High Watermelon Wheat, are available wherever you find great craft beer. That's right. Very good. Very good stuff. All right, Jeremy, welcome back, man. And this time you have a segment for us. I'm excited. Yeah, for you. I do. Yeah, it's you're not just hanging out, being some schlub on the microphone. It's a- nice to bring something to this as, other than my schlubness. <laughs> well, speaking of schlubness. Who's that? That's not it. <laughs> I was on the wrong bank. Hold on. Speaking of schlubness. Join us as we unravel the magic behind some of Disney's most beloved pieces of music. It's Spectro Time! This magic night Eric, you're not swaying. I need you oh, to no. sway. There you go. Oh, no. Come on. You're going to be on the show we sway. In this show, we sway to this music. Because of its 3-4 uh, its time, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's exactly why. And no other reason. All right, Jeremy. Well, for you. How are you? I'm great. It's nice to be here. It is, uh, you know, it is nice to not be a schlub. I feel that way. You know? <laughs> yeah, to contribute to society, <clears throat> bring something to this once yeah, in a while. I know, right? Instead of taking. Well, tonight I'm not just bringing something to you. I'm going to bring you to Epcot. Thank you. And we're going to learn about the history of the music. Well, we're going to learn a little bit about the history of the attraction, but we're going to focus on the music of Spaceship Earth. Which, of course, is the iconic and symbolic attraction at Epcot. More commonly known, as you said, is the big golf ball. <laughs> Does that really? Over- I imagine that really riles people up. Because I think like 
like Walt Disney World fans in general, I think, are a little built different. But I think Epcot fans are truly built different. They're like very, <laughs> you know, pointed and guarded about that thing. Well, it's under attack nonstop. <laughs> we are, you can't blame us for being a little defensive. Okay. True. True. God. So I, I get we get our uh, our panties in a twist. <laughs> Anything taken the wrong way. Hey, if we can if we can start to deal with the I'm going to Walt Disney World. Is that the one in California or the other one? <laughs> yeah. Ask Bob Chapek. <laughs> I almost pushed my kid down the stairs today because she said, I love Disney. Ah, yeah. Like you just, First of all, it's Disneyland. How dare you? No, it's just yeah. Disney. We went to Disney. No. It took over 26 months to construct, which used to be kind of a, a staggering number, but now it takes them that long to build a quick service. I thought, I thought you were going to rhyme for a second. I was like, oh, no, what's happening? <laughs> what if it, this whole, I have like six pages. What if it was all rhyme? It took them 26 months to construct. By the end, they were boop. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Jerry put a lot of effort into this. <sighs> all rhyme. Yeah. Structure is clad in 11,324 silver self-cleaning Alucobond facets. Originally, it was conceived as just a dome, not a full sphere. It was going to be a dome. theater with okay. a big domed roof, okay? Let me ask you a question, Jeremy. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Uh, what, Go ahead. I think we covered this, I think, on another time. What is self-cleaning? I don't know. I don't even think it's true. Okay. That's right. how they market it. Okay. Maybe it's like a but, smoother surface so the dust slides off easy or something? It's interesting because it looks like, yeah, it it looks like brushed metal, but they, what they te- say is that it, they actually feel as smooth as glass. Oh, okay. That's what it is. Oh, then. that must be it. Yeah. All right. That's cool. Good thing glass never gets dirty. Originally, oh, I said originally it was supposed to be a dome, but the final version wasn't just a dome, but a full geodesic sphere that seems to hover just feet above the ground. The idea was to make a dramatic entryway, not just to the park. But into the attraction itself, the hovering dome meant guests experienced the effect of going up into Spaceship Earth rather than just, you know, merely walking inside and through a door. Yeah. Which they would have done if it was a domed building. Science fiction writer Ray Bradbury helped Imagineers write the original storyline for the show. He outlined a group of major turning points or events in human history that had large impacts on our development as a species and a civilization. He ended up outlining an attraction where we sit in a time machine that goes back to the Stone Ages and traces humanity's developments and communication throughout history. The attraction takes us from cavemen recording their knowledge on cave walls, the development of paper in ancient Egypt, the invention of the printing press to disseminate information and how that led to the Renaissance, the newspaper, radio, television, the computer, the personal computer, and the network of communications that we've created today. During Epcot Center's opening ceremony, William Ellinghouse, then president of the Bell System, which was the attraction's initial sponsor, dedicated Spaceship Earth, number one. Now, as you will soon see, Spaceship Earth's theme is communications, civilization and communications from Stone Age to Information Age. And I therefore think it is very fitting that we dedicate Spaceship Earth to all of the people who have advanced communications, arts and sciences, and in so doing have demonstrated that communications is truly the beginning 
of understanding. So Spaceship Earth really is the first attraction you are meant to see when you arrive at Epcot, especially the first time. It sets the tone for the whole experience. Because what he's saying there is that without the fundamentals of communication, you can't fully begin to understand or comprehend the rest of the pavilions that you're going to see that talk Mm. about land, the seas, transportation, space travel, all of that. So communication is the foundation. Without that, it's, it's necessary for all the rest of it. So it sets the tone for your whole day. So you're saying that the the re-theme where we're talking about storytelling wouldn't have quite pulled off the same the same feat. Nothing they do now can pull off anything. <laughs> <laughs> They're just they all they their big trick is they made it into their own personal light bright. That's their big thing. It's a big, sparkling, dazzling ball. That's their big contribution. No, our shared story will be no good. Uh, but more on that later. So there's been some heated debate over several years, over several decades, in fact, surrounding who the actual narrator for that very original version of the show was. Really? You think that would be just sort of easily solvable? No, because, you know, it's not like now where everything's, you know, we know everything. They advertise everything. Everything's an Instagram story. It was kind of just like, here's a ride. Listen to this voice. It wasn't. And featuring. Okay. For many years, people believed the original narrator narrator was someone by the name of Vic Perrin. Yeah. Now, Vic Perrin will be familiar from his on-screen performances in episodes of Gunsmoke, Maverick, the TV series of Mission Impossible. But he's more known for his extensive voice work, including characters in Scooby-Doo, The Fantastic Four, Aquaman, and The Smurfs. Hmm. But imagine your Marty Sklar threw a wrench into things when in an interview a few years back... He claimed Vic Perrin had nothing to do with Spaceship Earth and that it was basically preposterous that Vic Perrin would have would have narrated the attraction. He claimed in a 2008 interview, as well as his book, that the true narrator for the first four years was actually Lawrence Dobkin. Now, who's Lawrence Dobkin? He'll be familiar to Disney fans. He was the original narrator of the Hall of Presidents at the Magic Kingdom, but he's also notable for roles on screen in The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Ten Commandments, and the 1970 movie Patton, as well as guest appearances on Night Court, Star Trek The Next Generation, and The Donna Reed Show. Far be it from Disney fans to question the likes of someone like Marty Sklar. Of course. So suddenly... It becomes accepted that Vic Perrin is not the original narrator and that it's Larry, uh, Larry Dobkin. But there's still some lingering doubt because people are listening and they're going, well, that's fine, Sklar, but it doesn't sound like, <laughs> like Lawrence Dobkin. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you saying that Marty Sklar sometimes just told stories? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly more than once. He contradicted himself. So it doesn't sound like Dobkin, and everyone's like, well, it it sounds a lot like Vic Perrin, like who we all thought it was. So in 2020, Disney casting director Mark Edis weighs into the debate, stating that he hired not Larry Dobkin, but Vic Perrin. (laughs) So now it's pretty widely accepted that our original belief that Vic Perrin was the narrator is true. And in fact, Vic Perrin provided the work on neighboring future world attraction, Universe of Energy. So logistically, he's around. He could have done it. He's right there. Sure. So um, we we believe that Marty Sklar was erroneous in his uh, contradiction. And we're back to believing it was Vic Perrin. <laughs> I love that well, for us. Until the ghost of Marty Sklar comes along and says, well, we did hire Vic Perrin, but 
Guess who showed up on the day of? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that could maybe that happened. Maybe I think the debate huh? the debate continues. My money's on Perrin, not just because of what this guy said and the first you know thirty years of Spaceship Earth, but also the fact that everyone's like, well, it sounds like Vic Perrin. <laughs> like, the attraction featured many of the vignettes that can actually still be seen today. So we t- we go through all these ancient. Uh, ancient times we see the in- invention of papyrus which was paper um, a lot of that's still there it hasn't changed that much it's been updated but a lot of that original story is still there it also contained in those first four years a simple quiet orchestral underscore that was never officially released and is almost indiscernible in the few recordings that survive from the time so we're not even going to play that it's you, you can barely hear it okay. now as i said the original version of the ride was sponsored by the bell system by the time Epcot Center opened in 1982, the Bell System was already on borrowed time, their, <laughs> their new sponsor. Ten months prior, in January of that year, the Bell System was mandated to be broken up, breaking up its telecommunications monopoly and creating, in its wake, AT&T, along with several smaller regional telecommunications companies. In 1984, the Bell System formally ended and became AT&T, which automatically assumed sponsorship of Spaceship Earth at that point. Fast forward two more years. In 1986, the attraction was closed for just two days for it to receive an update. Most notably, Vic Perrin's narration was replaced by venerable newscaster Walter Cronkite, number two. And now, your host, Walter Cronkite. For eons, our planet has drifted as a spaceship through the universe. And for a brief moment, we have been its passengers. Yet in that time, we've made tremendous progress in our ability to record and share knowledge. So let's journey back 40,000 years to the dawn of recorded history. We'll trace the path of communications from its earliest beginnings to the promise of the future. He's like a... Voice is like a caricature, you know. It's, I've heard so many caricatures of Walter Cronkite over the years. To hear that, I was like, "Wait a minute, is that yeah, okay?" It's just like overly exaggerated. That forty thousand years, <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Maybe you should start reading your news on in depth like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the lady swung hard, connecting with the soft flesh of her sister. <laughs> Okay. I, you know, I really like it. I think his voice is simultaneously gentle and soothing while being authoritative. Oh, very good. Very into that voice. I like to listen to it. I trust it. Finally, also after four years of operation, the attraction received its first theme song with that redo, Tomorrow's Child, written by Ron Avedi and Peter Stugard and performed by Sally Stevens, number three. Today, our search for understanding is unbounded by space and time. Centuries of information stand ready to reach us in an instant. Our link with the past, our hope for the future. Child, seeing that no 
Very buttery, very smooth and silky song. And nothing says the future like a a children's choir. That's right. I love that song. By the way, you two are very lucky. You have just heard the best version, the best narrator of Spaceship Earth. Wow. I can remember going and listening to that and like the rest of the trip, like me and my dad just going to each other. Yes, tomorrow's child. (laughs) Over and over. Now, if you aren't sure where you might have heard Sally Stevens' voice before, you will have heard her voice in the soundtracks to Jurassic World. Yes, she's still working. Tomorrowland. And if you're a Golden Girls fan, you might remember Season 4, Episode 8, Brother, Can You Spare a Jacket, where the girls find themselves at a homeless shelter looking for a concert ticket inside a jacket they mistakenly donated. Yes. You hear the song, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime, performed by Sally Stevens, Mm. number four. Once I did a rain, made it rain, made it race against time. Eh. It's no tomorrow's I child. No, oh, couldn't agree more. Now it's done, brother. Can you spare a dime? Well, in 1994, after 12 years, Spaceship Earth was beginning to show its age and was in need of another update. This time, the attraction closed for a little over three months in the fall of 1994 for a more thorough remodel and maintenance. A new script was written for the attraction and was narrated now by Jeremy Irons, who is now famous to Disney fans for having voiced Scar in the animated feature film The Lion King that same year. A new orchestral score was composed for the whole of the attraction by composer Ido Guidotti. And if you aren't sure who he is, but you play World of Warcraft, you will know he composed music to that. Oh, well, there you go. Did not know that. So let's take a listen to Jeremy Irons and Ido Guidotti's sweeping soundtrack number five. Like a grand and miraculous spaceship, our planet has sailed through the universe of time. And for a brief moment, we have been among its many passengers. Finally, from the depths of the Dark Ages, came the Age of Enlightenment, the Renaissance. We sailed into a bold new era of communication, bringing an explosion of tools and technologies which would bridge people around the world as never before. And as our appetite for information and knowledge grew... Yeah, I don't know, man. After Walter Cronkite, I don't know how you go there, but... Jeremy, did Jeremy Irons get replaced by Jim Cummings at the end of this ride, just like he did in Be Prepared? (laughs) Is that an inside... That's Inside Epcot one. joke? <laughs> no, it's a joke oh. for people who have listened to my segments in the past. Oh, come on. You remember. You re- he's, he's joking. Yeah, I'm teasing, everybody. man. Yeah, no, I'm looking for more socks on Amazon right now. I'm not really paying attention. 
I I actually was forgot about it because you said something. I was like, what? And, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh yeah, I did. See, I for, you forget what you say. It's on a sign at the Art of Animation Resort. I mean, is it really? It is. Yeah. I, oh, interesting. I, I I ran past it. The last time I stayed there, I ran past it. I'm like, oh wait, <laughs> I've heard this before somewhere. Yeah. If you ever see me crouched over at uh, Art of Animation taking notes, it's I'm preparing for a new segment. <laughs> <laughs> Just reading signs. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Now, in order to prepare or to uh, to to write that score. Guidotti spent several days in Florida riding the attraction over and over and over. I wonder if people think I'm preparing to write a new score for the attraction <laughs> because I'm on it just constantly, just round and round we go. So he rode the attraction over and over, ab- absorbing the scenes and the progression of the story. But also he had an Imagineer visit his house in Southern California to record a demo of the narration before Jeremy Irons recorded it. Mm. Just so that Guidotti could get a sense of the rhythm and the timing of the words for the, so that he could write the music to support that. Okay. So he's, he put in a lot mm, into this. Wow. Yeah. Now, one of the biggest challenges Guidotti was given by the Imagineers was in writing the music as guests reach the apex of Spaceship Earth. Because if you've written it, you get to the top, you emerge from a dark tunnel into this large sphere. And there's this wow moment of the Earth projected high atop. They use it almost as like a planetarium. And so you've got the earth projected on the ceiling. Now, for that entry, the Imagineers kind of wanted the music to sort of say, like, ta-da, like, here you are, like, you emerge out and boom. The challenge was, given that this is an Omnimover ride, a new car of guests is coming, emerging into that dome every few seconds. So you can't have ta-da, 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 (laughs) ta-da, (laughs) ta-da. He cleverly wrote music for the dark tunnel before in a lower tone. And then the music in the dome, no matter what part of the loop it is in, is always in this raised higher tone from the tunnel. So as the listener emerges into it, no matter when they enter, they always just sort of feel this lift in the music. And mm-hmm. that's how he got that transition to work and have the music sort of say, ta-da, without doing it over and over. Take a listen to how he did it. Number six. can hear how that kind of just sort of gently lifts some keen-eared spaceship earth enthusiasts will also notice similarity to the music of a famous classical composer in the finale scene of the attraction as the guest time machine passes a diorama of a futuristic city imagineers guided guidotti to be inspired by Bach's symphonia number two in c minor and he used that piece as the basis for that finale area this clip that jason's about to play for you Starts off with Bach Symphonia Number no. Two, and then I've blended that and merged it into what Guidotti actually ended up writing for the area. So see if you can hear the similarity between the two pieces. Number seven. 
Yeah, for sure. That da 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 da, da and then yeah. sort of the sweeping up up tones and down tones. It's the same. I mean, I was yeah. like, oh, he guess he basically just orchestrated that piano piece. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like, <right>. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was more inspiration. It's a quite close inspiration there. <laughs> Well, who's going to sue? I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I have a feeling that's in the public domain at this point. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you ever were going through there and you said, that's about, hey, that that box, Symphonia number two in C minor. You were right. In 2007, it was time for Spaceship Earth to be updated again. Now under the sponsorship of Siemens. The attraction closed for six months from July 2007 for a renovation that would see a soft reopening in December of that year with its official reopening on February 15th, 2008. A new narration by British Dame Judy Dench is accompanied by a sweeping new score composed by Bruce Broughton. Who, by the way, was at Disneyland five days after it opened in July 1955, so he's no stranger to Disney and surely a fan. Let's take a listen to Dame Judy Dench's narration and Bruce Broughton's wonderful sweeping score, number eight. That score. So if I could have the Cronkite, I mean, I love Judy Dench, but I I love the Cronkite vocals and the Broughton score. Right. Mm. Let's do that. Let's That's do that the mix. mashup we know. <laughs> we deserve it. We have to have. Now, you, I, we spoke about how all this uh, exhaustive research that Guidotti did for his version. Yeah. Well, for the ancient music of the first part of Spaceship Earth, Egypt, Rome, and Phoenicia... Bruce Broughton admitted he did no research. He just made it up. He made old-timey sounding music for that time. So listen to what he did without any research whatsoever, number nine. I sort of love that idea. I don't know. I mean, I'm a musician. What am I going to do? For me, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, I don't know, I guess you call it stereotypical, I suppose, but I mean, we don't know any better. We're tourists in Florida. Right. Who cares? Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the Egyptians were playing a pan flute. <laughs> Broughton described the challenge for Spaceship Earth is that the music has to blend together from scene to scene without creating dissonance. 
it's possible for guests to get stopped in between scenes with the ability to hear music from two different scenes playing at the same time. He wrote the music to all gel together such that when you hear the pieces individually, they sound like completely separate compositions. But in actual fact, the music is all one big piece written in different styles that blends together just variations on the same themes. Take a listen to some of those variations. Number 10. Nice. You can sway to that too. It's also written in three. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a loss to. when that goes away. That I mean, that is a beautiful score. Yeah, yeah. The new score is supposed to be all Smash Mouth. <laughs> hey, now you're in orbit. Get your gravity on. <laughs> Go away. That's it. Yep. Smash Mouth parody. Sorry. Yeah, I love it. Though Walter Cronkite's iconic narration was removed from the show in 1994, he actually still lives on in the attraction to today in the scene where a family watches the broadcast of the 1969 Apollo mission that first landed men on the moon. Walter Cronkite can be seen on the television from a clip of his original coverage of the event. That's nice. That's a nice touch. Makes me happy. In 2019, Disney announced another update to Spaceship Earth was coming as part of a major overhaul of the park that would knock down things and put in water and get rid of fountains and generally make the park look terrible. As a part of a major overhaul will include the conversion of future world into world discovery, world nature, and world celebration. That update to Spaceship Earth has since been put on hold due to the impacts of the coronavirus. So the Bruce Broughton, Judy Dench version continues to delight guests to today, but I, I have a feeling their sights are on it. They're going to be hacking into my beloved attraction soon, so go see it while you still can. The uh, score will be Lin-Manuel Miranda, narrated by Josh oh. Gad. <laughs> oh my the, god, don't even say it. They'll don't. leave in the, the video portions where you can choose your future. Yeah. The yeah. Same, same thing. That was yeah. cool. I, I do love that ride. It's it was it was uh, a hoot, man. Well, it just shows you and people love it. And it still gets yeah. wait times, you know, like yeah. you walk in that park, it can be a forty, fifty minute wait. I've seen it often. Oh yeah. And, you know, people and people like it. And it's just a dark ride. And so it I, just shows you we don't need all this razzle dizzle dazzle we don't i mean it's it's fun to do new tech and whatever but there is a certain section of the fandom i think us included that we like the old yeah it looks rickety or it doesn't look as flashy or whatever but there's something to be said for i mean same thing with pirates you know or mansion it's like all these effects look kind of dumb now but it's nostalgia it's also just marveling at the technology which was top technology at the time and sort of how that still works still tells yeah. a story still has a show 
But like, Neat. you know, you look it's at a lot the, of stuff. You look at you look at the pirates that they put into Shanghai. It's yeah. just screens. Yeah, there's a lot of screens for sure. I mean, they have a super advanced an, uh, animatronics in there, but um, yeah, they're going, they're moving projector stuff, and like, I get it to a certain extent, but when that becomes your new thing, is is a technology that's been around for <laughs> you know several years. Yeah, I don't know. Anybody going to go on the pirates in Shanghai in you know another ten, fifteen years and and tear up a little bit as they? <laughs> I as love. They, yeah, I miss this projection. This is my favorite projection. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that okay, it, so that's the music of spaceship earth i hope you enjoyed it very good very good i did me too thank you all right let's take a quick break we're going to come back and we're going to learn about walt's true origins was he really <laughs> born in chicago in 1901 or somewhere farther away <laughs> hang on everybody's ears up we'll be right back <laughs> And now, back to the show that ignites your dream wish of imaginations and magical color wonderment of forever. Ears up. I'm telling you, one day that's going to be the name of a new nighttime spectacular. This is whatever, <laughs> whatever announcer man just said. Whatever Did replaces hit- harmonious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, please. I can't come fast enough. But did you see they have a new, uh, Hong Kong's got a new show and they've named it momentous <laughs> oh no this is a momentous show like what are we do- there's nothing else besides that no anyway sorry you're welcome <laughs> all right you guys ready to learn a little bit of history let's do it all right ever since the second world war rumors about the true origins of walt disney have been swirling The Nazis tried to tie Walt's lineage to that of German descent in order to explain the popularity of his cartoons in the country. Then there's the one I'm going to explore today, that Walt was really born in Spain. I thought you were going to say space. I I really thought you were going to end with space. Forged in the vacuum of space. That's why it's called Spaceship Earth. Yeah, it's the the Earth is really the womb of... Anyway. Um, Where in Spain? Sevilla? Isabel Zamora was employed as a laundress in the town of Mojacar in Spain, which is a province of Andalusia. It's also the second largest autonomous community in Spain. And his, uh, the, her employer, Isabel's uh, employer, was Dr. See, I should have... Uh, it's a G, but it's not really a G sound, right? Hines? Let's call it Hines. Dr. Carrillo. Stemming from a long line of local doctors, Dr. Carrillo held a prominent status within the small town. He was a lover of art and the theater, founding a local theater group after the Spanish Civil War in the mid to late 30s. Even in this small town, Dr. Carrillo held a very prominent status. He was one of two doctors, and apparently the two doctors were sort of like, it was like a feud between the two families of doctors, but they would come together and like fund, uh, you know, a theater and like do benefits and, you know, be very uh, philanthropic with the local residents and stuff like that. So kind of weird, you know, kind of weird uh you know, big in your own hometown kind of a thing. Okay. Isabel, one day, became pregnant. Mysteriously, it seems, for the local lore was that she wasn't really known to have any boyfriend of any kind. Naturally, the oh, town... She's a tramp. Well, look, man, you know, um, immaculate conception happens, supposedly. Uh, naturally, the town started assuming Dr. Carrillo was the father. Of course, this was considered to be socially unacceptable, given the vast distances between the two and the town's social hierarchy. 
A neighbor of Isabel's, who used to work in the silver mine, took pity on the soon-to-be mother and offered the child his surname so that, well, I can't really figure out why. Some of the reading I found was presented as if this act of, of this man giving the surname, you can use my last name, would prevent the child from being born a bastard, which is what everyone was sort of like worried about back then. But not really certain that's how that works. At any rate, the baby's name, Jose Guiaro Zamora, was born. Okay. Soon after the birth, again, for reasons unknown, Isabel and baby Jose left Mohacar, boarded a coal freighter in the port of Cartagena, and were off to the natural destination of all recent mothers the world over, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's how it was built. That's, that's recent, right. Recent mothers. That's right. Yeah. Well, Taryn really wanted to go to Chicago in about seven, eight months. You know, she's like, I got, I'm getting the itch. I get the craving, you know. Um, Isabel had a brother named Juan living in Chicago, and she was there to start a new life with her baby. Presumably, Dr. Carrillo paid for her ticket and shipped her off in order to save her the humiliation of having a bastard son. Or maybe he was trying to take the heat off of himself for fathering his child with his laundress. As fate would have it, Juan Zamora lived on State Street, just a few blocks over from the Disney home on Trip Avenue. Juan was listed in the 1901 Chicago phone book as being a circus acrobat, which I find very, very funny. <laughs> I don't know why. Apparently the phone book used to list what you do. include your occupation. I think so, yeah. It's very common. Very oh. common at the time. Now, Juan probably, we don't really know, but probably saw how much effort it was uh, taking to raise little Jose, and he suggested giving the baby to the Disneys. They already had three kids, so they must know what they're doing, right? Well, Isabel agreed, and Juan was taken in by the Disney family, and the rest is history. Walt was born in Chicago on December 5th, 1901, as Walter Elias Disney. Now, this has been the distributed truth of Walt's beginnings, and it would have never been in question were it not for a brave and intrepid group of journalists challenging the Disney story. One man in particular, Carlos Almendros, went so far as to contact the Chicago Registry to acquire a copy of Walt's birth certificate. The response he received back? Nobody called Walter Elias Disney was born on that date, nor in any surrounding dates in the city of Chicago. (gasps) Which is true. There is no birth certificate for Walt Disney on record. The only certificate on record is Walt's baptism record on June 8th, 1902. Apart from that, no proof that Walt even existed can be found. Was he even real? Was Walt Disney just a psyop designed by the government? Yes. And no, not really. Um, (laughs) Yes, (laughs) he was. The end of the story. Thank you. He was never a real person. So was Walt really born in Spain? No. Or at least very unlikely. But to some of the folks in Mohacar, Walt is the native son that they never had, or something. The former counselor for tourism, Jose Luis Cano, the tourism of Mohacar, says, quote, Walt Disney was asked directly, is it true that you were born in a town in Spain, in the south of Spain? And his enigmatic answer was, who knows? It could be. And I've seen this a couple places before, too. This is, I'm taking this quote to actually be, you know, real, but... You know, it's also Walt. What are you going to do? To this day, the town of Mohokar still claims Walt as their native son. Visitors who explore the town often run across Tito's Beach Bar, 
a popular spot for fresh food and music looking over the Mediterranean. On the wall, Tito, who is a native-born American, often points tourists to three photos on the wall. I'm going to share this with you guys right now, and I'm going to mm-hmm. continue reading. Um, well, I guess I can't read it and share it. Is, I'll just is share one of them of him hand-making vodka? <laughs> yes, it is that Tito. So this is Tito. Why is Mel Gibson holding up his picture? <laughs> it's a sad Mel Gibson. This is Mel Gibson's brother, Charlie. This is Tito. And he runs Tito's bar. And so this is the picture. These are the pictures that he holds up. There's Walt and there's two other men. And he asks tourists, which do you think is Walt Disney's father? Just based on these photos, which do you think looks more like him? Most people point to the main guy in the photo sort of a rounded face, mustached or whatever, but that is that is not Walt Disney's father. Walt Disney's father Elias is over there on the right, the slender-faced, long-faced, different nose, no mustache, and this is their proof. <laughs> yeah, those okay. hereditary mustaches. Yeah, uh the the man in the photo is Dr. Carrillo. I don't Well, first of all, why are we looking at a profile of like why like Shouldn't they be all from the same angle? Well, I mean, you can, you can go back in time and take a picture of Walt's that's, dad. That's the, but there the are pictures picture. of his dad. It's the best we can do, okay? First of all, it's the best we could do. Anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> let, me, let, me, uh, let me read the uh, thing. Uh, on the wall, Tito, a native-born American, often points tourists to the three photos you just saw. One is a recognizable Walt Disney, and the other two men are much older. One with a slender face, the other more round with a bushy mustache. Tito asks folks to pick out Walt's father based on facial features alone. Guests usually pick the mustachioed photo, seeing as the resemblance is closer to that of Disney than the other. But we know that it's not. They often pick Dr. Carrillo as being Walt, as looking more like Walt than his dad. And that's the proof. That's, that, is, that is tantamount to uh, photographic evidence to, to, to some people. People are so stupid. It's just he's just <laughs> groomed sim- in that picture he's groomed similarly to that other guy. But I actually don't think those facial features are that similar. And if you look at pictures of Walt when he was really young and skinny, mm-hmm. he looks like his dad. I mean, I don't know. I think he does sort of look like this dude. I'm just saying. Now, Tito isn't just some beach bum who fled the US in order to ride waves and feed hungry locals. He comes from a wealthy family ingrained in the glitzy Hollywood scene of the 1940s. In fact, he lived on Carrollwood Drive, right across the street from the Disney household. He says, quote, From my house, I could see a model train in his backyard with cars big enough to sit on. Even He even visited the first Disneyland, the first, I don't know why it says the first, I stole this, <laughs> stole that part. Uh, he visited Disneyland with Walt while it was still being built. So he knew Walt. They were, the families were close. So uh, Tito, it's Tito Del Amo is his name. He goes, quote, I rejected the idea outright when I first came here in the 1960s. We were too busy having a good time. Back then, Mohokar was an almost Mediterranean paradise where a small group of hippies could get safely psychedelic. <laughs> like, that's the term. We're just getting psychedelic, guys. It's cool. Uh, but, and where their but, children but safely. Yeah, yeah, safely. And where the children could scamper up and down the irregular flagstones of the village's narrow, deep streets. Del also Amo. Safe admits that now he sees Disney's face in the Carrillo family and all over the village. Quote, the man from the electricity company came and I thought, well, he also looks like Walt. 
Add, add, that, just, add that guy's picture, too. Yeah, yeah. just seeing it everywhere, more, man. More pictures of people who look like Walt. Yeah. But Tito isn't the only gatekeeper of this origin story for the most well-known entertainer in the world. Christopher Jones, the son of one of Walt's press agents, has been researching his own version of this history in the hopes that the truth can finally be revealed. Quote, this is a story of an orphan brought up by nasty parents who becomes a wizard, said Jones. It's the story of Harry Potter gone sour. That line I don't understand, but okay, whatever, dude. And Jones says the only time Walt was challenged by a well-known Disney animator on whether he might have been born in Spain, he said, who knows? So this is the second other person to bring up this quote. Jones first heard about the Mohokar story from his father, Tom. He has since moved closer to the town of Mohokar while he writes a forthcoming book on the true story of Walt's birth. So this man is living near this town to do research, to write a book. And I, I love that so much. <laughs> I don't know why. What an excuse just to move to some like basically <laughs> resort town now in Spain. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing research. I got to research. Uh, oh, look, time to go eat. <laughs> now the town, hey, he's got the psychedelics too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. The town has not been shy about promoting the Disney connection in order to boost tourism in the area. Mohokar had been a small mining town, peaking at about 6,000 people in 1920 and dropping to about 600 in the 40s. In some stories I read, they had actually dropped down to 300 people in this town. Oh my word. The mines in the area had all shut down and much of the residents moved away to find work elsewhere. Buildings were falling apart, of course, and nobody had heard of Mohokar, much less wanted to vacation there or live there. They had no phones, no running water, and this is in the 40s, no electricity. Women would carry water from the public fountain in the town square back to their homes for cooking and for drinking. Ugh. In 2018, however, the population soared to just over 6,300 people. So we're back post-peak, baby. Oh, in 2018? 2018, yeah. Now, most of this rebound is credited to Mayor Jacinto Alacron, elected in June of 1960, who poured his heart into reinventing this sleepy and dying town. He started by painting all of the buildings white, covering their original brown coloring. Imagine this just like beachside thing, the city overlooking, you know, it's like nestled into the hills, overlooking the Mediterranean, and it's just brown. Paint the whole thing white. Very audacious. Yeah. What What right. if they were not brown? <laughs> right. What if the town control? It's just one HOA. Uh, he also gave land and buildings away to people who would move there and invest in the local economy. Oh, and he also went on national TV to reinforce the fact that Walt was born in Mohokar. <laughs> so that probably helped, too. This nut bar in the 60s, just on national TV. Yep, well, you know what? We're in my, in my, the town that I'm a mayor of, uh, Walt Disney was actually born here, everybody. Come visit. Thank you very much. Come buy a house. It's free. Yeah. And he's alive at that time. Yeah. He's alive, man. Okay. I mean, this place must really suck. It's in Spain, and it's on the ocean, and they need this story to get anyone to go there? Like, how bad is this Well, I think it, I mean, it used to. So when this mayor took over in the 60s, there were 600 people living there. So he's like, let's go. Let's pump this economy. Let's do it to the moon, baby. We got to go. The ocean wasn't enough? The great food? 
Apparently not. The absence of Walt's birth certificate seems to be the root of these stories, and on the surface, that does seem pretty strange. However, back in the early 1900s, having a birth certificate was not a requirement for families in Illinois and was frequently ignored for home births, of which Walt was. He was born at home. Ignoring the fact that none of the Disney family or friends ever questioned or commented on how they suddenly had a baby in their possession without that story actually getting out. There's no actual evidence of Walt being born anywhere else other than Chicago. But that doesn't mean that there aren't awesome little moments in his life that provide just enough fuel for this fire to not die out totally. For example, when Walt needed a passport when he was 17, he had his mother sign an affidavit affirming that he was who he was and that he was born in December and in Chicago. Seems pretty normal, considering the lack of paperwork back then. The odd thing is, she signed another document confirming yet again that Walt was born in Chicago sometime in the 30s on Mm. Walt's behalf. Why would he do that? The conspiracy theories are like, well, Walt finally started realizing that he wasn't born uh, to the Disney family and he just wanted to make sure and blah, 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 blah. Then there's the FBI's involvement. Walt had a fairly large file at the FBI, some like 600 pages, due to his work as a, quote, special agent in charge contact or, you know, a spy during the Red Scare in Hollywood in the 50s. In in a declassified FBI document, Hoover pledged to help Disney, quote, I am indeed pleased that we can be of service to you in affording you a means of absolute identity through your lifetime, he wrote in Walt's file. Nobody really knows what this means because much of Walt's FBI file is still redacted. However, by the 1960s, the Disney name was a beacon of American greatness, a shining orb of happiness and joy. What would happen if the truth came out that jolly Uncle Walt was really a bastard child from a crumbling mining town in Spain and not the great American we've all been sold? Back then, that sort of crap mattered to most people, so to what lengths would the government go to protect this secret? What about little baby Jose? Did the town of Mohawk record his birth? Here's the recollection of Martin Morales, who's the municipal archivist of Mohawk. Imagine having that job. <laughs> Just archiving yeah. the, you know, uh, Ted, uh, you know, I don't know, man, uh, replaced his door. And here's a sliver of it because I don't know. Whatever. It's like, what happens? Does every town have an archivist? Apparently. Oh. Um, here's, here's Martin Morales because it all goes back to the summer of 1940 when some gentlemen come in suits who claimed to be Walt Disney's secretaries. Nobody here knew who Walt Disney was at the time, and they say that their boss had sent them to get the baptismal certificate because he intends to get married. They come here, do the corresponding writing to see if Jose Guerrero Zamora was born in 1901, which is the date they believed he was born here. And coincidentally now, today, it turns out that the volume corresponding to that period has disappeared from where it should be. They turned the town upside down with the intention of taking something very valuable from the archives, their birth certificate of Jose Guerrero Zamora, who we now know was baptized in the U.S. as Walter Elias Disney. If those three men were investigating, their signature and reason for the query should have been reflected in the record book. But here, where the entry record of the request of these gentlemen should have been recorded, all traces have disappeared, specifically an entire volume. Isn't it curious? One might think that they could have bribed someone or that they took documentation and made it disappear themselves. Come on. They took that to the United States. Oh, someone is a super sleuth. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) The former counselor for tourism, 
Jose Luis Cano says, quote, The truth and truth is that there is no reason why three members of an establishment like the FBI, and if they were not from the FBI, they were from the CIA or something like that, would come to Mohokar, a town that was dying in those days of 1940, to look for the registry of a person named specifically Jose Guerrero Zamora. Without a doubt, for them, it was the same person. You have no other explanation, or do you? Were these suited men from the FBI? Their accounts of their arrival have been corroborated by a few people in the town, a former mayor, a priest, a lawyer, but what they were looking for can never be found if it existed in the first place. The facts that Isabel Zamora and Dr. Guaro existed isn't up for debate. Many of the older residents remember her leaving with a child. Was it baby Walt? Like most rumors and conspiracy theories, the good ones are born from fractions of truths, and the great ones are impossible to solve with any degree of certainty. There's no way to prove once and for all that Walt was really born in Chicago. <laughs> There's no way to prove it. Without a DNA test, I don't know why I wrote that. Without a DNA test comparing his descendants with the descendants of Dr. Guerrero, one of which still lives in Mohocar. Diego Carrillo is the son of uh, Dr. Carraro. He is also a doctor as well. Had this to say when a reporter knocked on his door to ask about his famous alleged half-brother. Quote, I have said all I want to. I've had enough. However, a few days earlier... He had denied the story in Madrid's El Mundo newspaper. Quote, this stuff about me being Walt Disney's brother is fiction, he said. The journalist from Premier Plano, the publication that first wrote about this rumor in 1940, had obviously heard something about Walt Disney and Mohokar, and that's why they came here in 1940. My father liked a good joke, so he said yes to everything they asked. Then Diego said something that didn't quiet the rumors so much as shifted them. If you think my father and Walt Disney look alike, you should see pictures of my uncle. He looks even more like Disney, and he did like the ladies. What? <laughs> Further proof. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Diego Carrillo's nephew, yet another doctor, this lineage man just pumps out doctors, confirmed the family line. Quote, Mohokar was a boring place then. My grandfather died when I was young, but he was a lecher, a viejo verde. In his old age and interest in the occult. I don't know what I don't know why you just throw the, the occult in there. Like what's the occult gotta do with anything? The whole thing was cooked up by Jacinto and him when those journalists arrived from the film magazine. If it was a joke, Premier Plano, which is again the magazine that it was written in, not only fell for it, but introduced a new element in the form of a letter allegedly sent to the village in nineteen twenty five. Quote Some time ago the parish priest of Mohawkar received from the US a letter and asked for the birth certificate of Jose Guararo Zamora, baptized in 1901, and this letter, which disappeared in the Spanish Civil War, was signed by Walt Disney. A few days after being sent the documentation for Jose Guararo, Walt Disney contracted marriage with Lillian Bounds, and the life of the gifted artist, creator of a new cinematic theory, took its course many miles from Mohokar. Lillian was a $15 a week sketcher who worked for Disney and married uh, to him for 41 years. A year after he died, she remarried. Ironically, or rather spookily, according to Tito, she married a Del Amo family friend and was thenceforward known to him as Aunt Lillian. So he like lived across the street from his future aunt, although he didn't know it. It's really weird. Weird. The story you just heard varies a bit from the original that was first published in Premier Plano. That one had Walt's mother as Maria, not Isabel, and the entire family left the town and moved to America when Walt was two, not just the mom and the baby, right? Eventually finding work on the Disney family farm just outside of Marceline, Missouri. 
Now, Walt's real father died on the farm, and the Disneys adopted Walt and raised him as their own, which kind of skews the timeline a bit because the official story is that Walt arrived in Marceline when he was five, and then he left Mohokar at two. So did it take him three years to get to Marceline, or maybe he wasn't as old as he claimed to be? Which reminds me of another story. This one is verifiable that Walt changed his birth date on his form for the Red Cross, right? To enlist and serve in World, World War I. Oh, right. Was he actually making a correction and not lying? Oh, This boy. story just keeps oh. adding more and more intricate layers. <laughs> every, yeah. Every, <laughs> like a, like a croissant. Yeah. And very intricate. Yeah. <laughs> just throwing darts at a wall. <laughs> Walt supposedly told his good friend Salvador Dali on several occasions that he was, in fact, born in Andalusia. The two artists were friends, of course, and working on a project together that never really saw the light of day until it was pieced together and finished back in 2003, I think, called Destino or Destiny. I can't find any other reference to this supposed comment by Dali that he said, yes, Walt actually did tell me he was born in Spain. Other than the source material that nobody else, it's nowhere else in the world. And you'd think something like that would sort of be more widely distributed. However, Dolly was a known fraud himself, often inventing dramatic scenes from his own childhood to sell books and later in life, signing copies and forgeries of his artwork to pass them off as originals so he could sell them and make money. Apparently, he even employed four artists at one point to simply copy his work and he would sign these canvases and, and other people would sell them. However, the story was first born and has clung onto the minds of the town elders who repeat it to their children. And eventually, like all good stories, it ends up on the Internet. The town elders. Mm -hmm. I love a town that has elders. Yeah, which is basically just old people now. I mean, yeah, whatever. but they sort of like lead and guide and, you know, yeah. oh, the elders, you have to ask them. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine the town elders sitting at a, a computer on Reddit? Tapping one key at a time, telling this story. <laughs> <laughs> spreading. That's spreading right. The truth. And then for the uh, for the morning announcements, the mayor reads who got upvoted that day. <laughs> Maria, you, know you got say... two upvotes. Congratulations. Very good. Uh, Jose, you got two downvotes. So you're going to have to go back in the line, please. You know how they say that like a good lie has a lot of details? Yeah. I think that's what they were going for because there was a lot going on in that story. That was like, didn't need to be there. Yeah, I mean, and, and there was a lot that I sort of omitted too. Uh, you know, apparently like oh. the, the rumor in the town was that Dr. Carrillo was sort of a philanthropist. No, wait, philanderer. <laughs> he was, one. yeah, he was like the only person. I mean, he was the only, he was one of the only two town doctors. So like he saw a, a lot of young women. And uh, apparently this wasn't like new and he was sort of a womanizer and, but he was like an artist and he would like build art installation, some nonsense. So then people go, Oh, well, you know how, you know how older people are. Maybe your grandparents like, Oh, well, you know, when you were a kid, you were just, you did just the things as, as your parents did, as your mom or dad did when you were a baby, when they were a baby or whatever. And it's like that sort of idea of just generational ideas being passed along. You know what I mean? It's like, well, He's artistic, so it must be makes more sense that Walt is is his child. It's like that stuff. Right. Like that makes no sense. Yeah. So there you go. There you have Ugh. it. There's one of the more fascinating versions of Walt's background. And it's funny because it's like I'm saying a good lie has a bit of truth to it. And it's one that you can never point to anything factual and say this. 
you're wrong because of this information. You, you just, you can't, right? So it's always going to live on. So during your journey with this story, yeah, were there ever times where you were swayed one way or the other? Or did you, oh, did you always have a, a, a thesis and you sort of, that's, you, you think one thing? <laughs> Um, I mean, look, I'm not, you know, my, my brain is pretty, you know, smooth, but it's not that smooth. You know what I mean? Like I, I know that while well, I'm pretty sure Walt was born in Chicago, like there's no, the amount of people that have dug into this man's past and written biographies and did like pieces on him, hit pieces or not, or whatever, right? The amount of press this man has received, the amount of combing through his past is received. Nobody has found any of like his old neighbors or priests or anybody in the neighborhood or turned any of his family members to be like, yeah, I don't know. Um, Lillian, no, wait, what was his Flora? Flora was his mom's name. Yeah. One day, yeah. you know, she was pulling weeds and then suddenly they had a kid. It was weird. I don't understand it. Nobody's ever said that. Right, right, right. But that's all J. Edgar Hoover is doing. That's right. All these people had accidents. Um, so, no. But also, there's like 4% of me that wants to believe it. <laughs> because I think it would be hilarious. I think it would be really funny if like that was it. But like Walt would have either had to know. Or then, you know, then if he knew, why wouldn't he go back there? But then what is this report of all these people coming to like, I don't know steal the documents it's, it's probably just made up of course someone just made that up like this report of people coming you know how many like these people live in a clearly a pretty boring town without any technology what do they do for fun they make shit up <laughs> when when one of the 300 people in town is the town archivist he's like i'm taking this book home and i'm gonna i don't know eat it <laughs> burn it I mean, speaking. Well, I, I, I'm so bored. Speaking of people who look alike, there's a picture of Walt and uh, and, uh, and Dolly, and Dolly right? Dolly. They they look alike. I mean, is people sort of just look alike? Like to you know to the point of like uh, Tito with his picture. It's like you can sort of you can sort of align different people with different facial features, and like that's just I don't know. You can find the resemblance in a lot of different people. Dolly looks like Walt's mother. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was. <laughs> With the mustache. We don't know that he was. Real mustache. Yeah. He does look like Flora in one of those pictures. God, Walt just looks like already just over Dolly. Like over the nonsense. He just looks tired. No, he loved him. They were they had a, sure. a wonderful friendship. They did. Anyway, there you go. That's it. That's the story, folks. Wow. I think we all learned something here tonight. Did we? Sure. I hope so. <laughs> I've never heard this story before at I I thought yeah, it was cool, I mean, man. I learned where that you, it exists. Where do you dig this crap up? <laughs> it's on the internet, man. And I will say, shout out to Maddie, uh, you know, one of our listeners who reached out uh, months and actually last year and was like, hey, you know, I do research and, you know, if you guys ever need help. I had to reach out to her for this one because, like, I can't, I was like, I can't, I heard, I came across a couple things, but I couldn't find anything with details. And she was able to scrounge the internet. You up. needed a young person to access the dark web. That's right. Yeah. Web, I need to go to web 1.0. And that's where all the information is. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff, huh? Are you going to continue or are you no, like, is, are you done researching this? Have you, are you wrapping it up and you, yeah. you've, you've come to your conclusion? I've come to my conclusion that, um, that not much has changed. I think it would be cool if Walt was born in Spain. Just, 
I don't know, because we need some spice, man. You know, what would Walt do? All these people who always ask, what would Walt do about his park? I don't know. Probably lie about it. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't know, man. Yeah, that's no. it. All right, we're going to well, get... I think that was great. Yes. I Thank think you. it was very interesting. Thanks, man. We're going to get out of here, everybody, because we have a secret show to prepare for. Yes. But we're going to go do that, everybody. Thank you very, very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. We'll be back in a couple weeks with uh, Taryn's show, which is the history of Epcot. So dovetail. Oh, I would love to hear that. Yeah, well, you can come on. It'll dovetail it, nicely. We'll get the crew back together. It'll be fun. This isn't going to be a. You can't do the history of Epcot in one show. Is she out of her mind? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> okay. Probably City, the park. Like, yeah. Wow. That's a that's a lot of history. I think that's I like know. a six part. If I, if it were me, that's a six part series. Hmm. Okay. Well, she's listening, so she will. Uh, Take that into advisement, I guess. She will probably prove me wrong and probably do a wonderful job. Of course. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot for tuning in. And if you are listening live, we'll be uh, jumping over to the Secret Show live stream here in a bit. And we'll make the drink. We'll come back and we'll do that. So uh, anyway, until then, everybody, or until next time or something, we'll see you in the parks. Or on the coast of Spain. Yeah.